Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. This is God's word. The book of Hebrews was written uh, to Jews who were experiencing hardship and persecution. And, and so as a result, they were tempted to shrink back on their faith. They were tempted to shrink back on their convictions and, and what they knew to be true. That's what faith is. Faith is living in line with what you know to be true. That's where you get the poise. That's where you get power. That's where you get stability. That's where you get courage to live life. A life of faith rests on the foundations that give you all those things, poise and courage and, and uh, stability and power. It's how you face struggles. It's how you face suffering. But it also teaches us not only just how to face suffering, but to go and have power to go against the tide, to have power to go against the worldly values that we're bombarded with every day. The author here in this text says in verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. And you see a series of case studies in Hebrews chapter 11. What gave these people power? He says they knew, they knew by faith that they were commended by God. In Hebrews 11, uh, all throughout this text, you see this. You see that uh, the author addressing what it means to be commended by God. Now the word commended in Greek here is the same word that we get martyr, incidentally. The word martyr. But even the word martyr in English, it doesn't really do justice. It doesn't capture what the author is really trying to say because it's not just an act. It's more than just an act. The word carries a legal context. It means that a witness, God, saw all that was going on, saw these people who were suffering, and he himself gave testimony as a witness saying, I was there, I saw everything, and I'm commending these people. If you're in a a case where you're the defendant, and uh, if this was a defense case, where God himself, as the authority, as the witness, as a key witness, comes and says, I saw it, I was there, and I'm commending this person, it means you're clear. It means you're absolutely clear. That's the source of our relief. That's the source of our power. And our authority says that he saw everything, and he says you're clear. Now, what he's saying is that means you're accepted. That means we're approved by God. It means we're endorsed by God. That's the only way you can say, that's the only way you can face the struggles of your life. It's the only way you can face the assaults in your life, and you say, do your worst. That's what the ancients had. That's what they were commended for is because they were able to see that beneath the visible reality that they faced, there was a deeper reality, a a greater reality underlying the reality. And it enabled them to face their hardships, face suffering, and go against worldly values. How do you get that kind of assurance? That God accepts you, that God approves of you, that God endorses you. Today we're going to learn about Abel. And we're going to learn three things about this. 
And it points to Abel in three ways. One, why the offering of Abel and Cain? Two, why is Abel's offering better? And lastly, how do we apply that? Why the offerings? Why it's better? How do we apply it? First, we're going to look at why the offering. See, if you go back to the first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis, there you see a detailed account of the narrative of Cain, the elder brother, and Abel, the younger brother. Now, I want to say a little bit about this. They came from the same family, essentially. Adam and Eve. They came from the same family. They had similar upbringing. On the outside, they were similar people. They were both trying to obey God. They both worshipped. They both gave offerings. They both gave sacrifices. Both of them appeared to have a relationship with God. Both of them on the outside appeared to look okay. But something was going on inside Cain, the elder brother. Something was going on. And this is important because even though both of them came to worship, even though both made sacrifices, one of them, Abel, was persecuted for his. So there has to be a foundational difference between Cain and Abel, their offerings. And it shows us between Cain and Abel that there are two fundamentally different ways of viewing worship, two fundamentally different ways of viewing offerings, and they're shaped by the heart, something that's underneath what is visible. It's shaped by their view of the world. It's shaped really by their view of God. You see, both of them, they were taught Both of them, they knew intuitively that you can't just show up in front of God. Both of them knew that. You can't just go to God. Think about any of your relationships. Think about any relationship that you desire in your life. No one just comes into a relationship just as you are. No one starts out that way. That actually repels relationships. Relationships always begin with offerings. Relationships always begin with sacrifices. You enter through your best efforts, through your best kindness, through your best behavior. You want to come out, you want to enter in clean. All relationships want to begin that way. In other words, your sacrifices, your offerings, they can be used as a means to control or manipulate people that you want acceptance from. Really what you're saying is, you want to, I want to create an image of myself to make me look acceptable. Offerings have a tendency, they're intended to clean you to clean you up. We say, look at my credentials. Look at my connections. Look at my consistency. Look at my manners. Look at my behavior. Look at my service. Look at my goodness. Look at my sacrifices. Accept me. And that's how you get into any circle if you think about it. That's how you get into college. That's how you get your first job. That's how you get into any social circle in your life that's valuable to you. It's how you get into any intimate relationship. You know, Jean-Paul Sartre famous philosopher, one of the things, he tells a story about a woman that he viewed through a keyhole. And I've, I, said, I shared this before, but he looks through this keyhole and he says, behold, I see this woman and she's naked. And you see through that keyhole, this woman who does not know that she's being observed, she's, she demonstrates and displays all of her physical flaws, all of her imperfections, and all of her beauty, all of her glory. He says, through this keyhole, I have power because I am able to peer through this keyhole and see a woman completely exposed for who she really is. And that woman, if she were to know that I was watching, she would be utterly insecure. She would be ashamed. She would want to hide. She would want to cover herself, but she doesn't see that. And so through this keyhole, I have power. But then behold, 
a tremendous fear overwhelms me. Why? Because I realized I am naked, and behind me is another keyhole. That's Jean-Paul Sartre. What he's saying is that anyone who sees you as you are, naked, flawed, you're exposed. They have a tremendous power over you. It can destroy you. Why? Because deep inside, every one of us knows, intuitively or through experience, that we are fundamentally flawed, fundamentally broken, sinful from the core on out. We know this. That's why we hide. The moment you meet someone, the moment you want to get in with anybody, you hide yourself. You cover over yourself. Whether it's a first date, a second date, whether it's even in marriage, all of marriage can be summed up as an uncovering of yourself, revealing deeper and deeper parts of who you really are. That's what sanctification is. And so we're hiding, we're covering up, and really what we do is we, bring our, we put our best foot forward, we're bringing offerings. That's what we're doing. That's what we do to get in. Cain, he had faith in God. He was actually, if you read Genesis chapter 4, the narrative between uh, Cain and Abel, Cain's actually talking with God. He gives offerings. But the text here says, Abel gave by faith because he trusted God. Because he trusted God, because he trusted in his promises, because he had a relationship with God. He was living in line with everything that he knew about God, and he knew just enough to birth in him a gratitude, a joy, to make God and his relationship with God a priority, to trust God. Think about the reason why for, for any of us giving at all, for any of us to give at all, any type of offering to God, it's either going to be in response to the acceptance we already have, in response to the relationship we already have, or as a means to getting a relationship with God. Either because you're thankful for your relationship with God, or because you're trying to earn a relationship with God. Cain, he worked hard. His offerings represented his hard work to earn it. And so when he gave, he felt like he deserved it. He felt he was entitled to it. But Abel, he gave out of gratitude. He gave out of joy. They were both doing God's will. They were both obeying God on the outside. But what is at the heart of each person foundationally? What is each person's foundational trust of the heart? What is each person's motivational center? Now, think about this. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve, in paradise, in the garden, before they ever disobeyed God, they were naked and they were unashamed. They were completely exposed but they were unashamed. And what that means is they had access. They had complete access to God. They came as they were. They came to God as they are. They came for one another as they are. There was no hiding. There was no need to hide. There was no need for cover. There was no need for an offering. There was no need to appease. There was no need to placate. But the moment that they sinned, the moment that they sinned, the first thing they did was they covered themselves. And then they hid. And if you want to know why, it's because deep inside there's a fundamental knowledge that we were built to serve God, to serve other people, and yet at the heart we're so selfish. We are so selfish. And so therein lies the shame. We know we're built to serve God, and yet we want to serve ourselves. Therein lies the shame. Therein lies the guilt. We can't just enter into God as a result. We know that we're not acceptable because of our sin on one hand, and so we have to come even before God. If, you, if we're trying to come before each other and the only way to come and get inside somebody, to get in a relationship with someone is through our kindness and our behavior, through offerings, how, how much more 
Do we feel that way before God? And so we know we're not acceptable on one hand, and yet we need an offering. Now, some of us, there are people in this room who don't inherently believe that. We don't believe in sin. But in actuality, you do. Because you do care what other people think about you. It's why we're always working so hard. It's why we're beating ourselves up when we make mistakes. Why is that? It's because we're saying, I need to make a payment. I need to make an offering. I need to make a sacrifice. I need to pay the price to make it work, to make things right. It's why some of us work so hard to prove ourselves. It's what we're doing. We're trying to prove ourselves. Whether it's in your relationship or whether you're working hard in your work. Another way of saying this, this is how I commend myself. You're making a case for yourself. You're standing before the defense, before a judge, and you're saying, you're pleading, you're making a case for yourself, and you're saying, look, I'm trying to build a perfect home here. I'm trying to live a good life here. Whether it's becoming a good son or a good daughter, whether it's becoming a good mom or a good dad or a good spouse or a good employee, everything that we have in front of us, we could use as a cover-up. We're using it as a way to commend ourselves. But that's why every failure brings us down. Every failure brings us down. And it's why we're prone to working harder than for success. You see that? We're condemning ourselves. We're constantly condemning ourselves. Cain and Abel, they're just like us. We're all the same. We need an offering to get in. But why was Abel's offering better? That's what the text here focuses on. Why Abel's offering is better. That's the second point. The text says here in verse 4, Abel offered a better sacrifice. Now, that seems pretty unfair from the outside. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. And both of them on the outside, it looks like, were bringing the fruits of their labor. Cain brought crops. Abel brought livestock. But there's more, you see. If you understand the first point, that every one of us is using or desires to use an offering to get in, to get access, whether it's relationally here to one another or to God. If you understand that first point, there's much more, you see. Most people think that when you get access, what you're hearing is, I accept you because you worked hard. I accept you because you're a good person. But the text here says, Abel offered a better sacrifice by faith. And faith is living in line with what you know. And so the response is always a response to God's word. When you hear about your sin, when you hear about your brokenness, when you hear about redemption, we're responding to God's word in the Bible. The text is saying that's what Abel did. And Cain did not do that. Abel responded by faith. Abel responded in faith. He was giving, and his giving was a response in his trust of God to redeem him from his sin. I want to unpack this a little bit. God says to his parents, Adam and Eve, way back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, Adam and Eve, I will cover you. Adam and Eve were covering themselves with fig leaves. They were hiding, they were hiding out. And what God did was he takes animals and he clothes them with, with garments made of animal skin. He says, I will cover you. And then through you, he makes a promise. He says, through you, I will redeem the world. It's a promise. They couldn't just go in anymore. They didn't have that access. In fact, they were driven out of the garden because of their sin. But they were naked. They were flawed. They were exposed. They were sinful. But God promises, I will cover you. I will cover you. 
What he's really saying here is that I see your misery, I see your brokenness, I see your helplessness, I see your futility. Your offering is no longer enough. Your offering is not enough. How am I going to redeem you? God tells Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, he says, that one day one of your offspring will crush the head of the enemy. Once and for all will crush the head of the enemy, but the enemy will strike his heel. He will be mortally wounded. He will suffer. He will bleed. In other words, one day your offspring, one of your offspring, will become the offering. One of your seed will be the offering, the ultimate offering, but that's going to redeem you. That's going to restore you. And so this story, you have Abel growing up and hearing the story of redemption. He sees creation. He sees sin, the fall. He hears the story of redemption. He hears the promise. So when Abel brings his offering, it's not necessarily because he's just tending to flocks. He's bringing the fruit of his labor. He's saying, I hear the story. I'm able to process that story through the lens of my life. I see my brokenness. I see my sin. And I hear this narrative, this promise of grace. I hear the promise of salvation through the one that God will send, the one who will be wounded for me. I trust this. And as a result, his sacrifice is a bloody sacrifice. His sacrifice is an animal sacrifice. He brings livestock. It's bloody. It's a bloody mess. He's trusting God's sacrifice. It points to God's sacrifice. Cain? Cain isn't doing that. Cain says, if you look at the narrative all the way back, Hebrews, what's wonderful about Hebrews is it's a narrative of the entire Old Testament. And so beginning with Abel, you see here Cain, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, Cain is really saying he's giving with the heart of, I'm giving, look what I've done. I'm successful. I'm accomplished. In fact, Cain's name means winner. And so what he's saying is, look at me. Notice me. Accept me because of what I'm giving to you. In other words, what he's saying is, you owe me. You owe me for the good works that I've done. Look what I've done. Let me in. Give me access. Abel, on the other hand, he gives out of his helplessness. In fact, Abel's name in Hebrew means loser. You can sum it up to mean loser. Abel's sacrifice points to someone outside of himself. He's saying, I trust that God will make a way. He's promised that he will make a way. I'm trusting that this is pointing to someone who will become the ultimate sacrifice for me. It's a better sacrifice because it points to the ultimate sacrifice. The author of Ephesians says this, Christ loves us because he made himself an offering and a pleasing sacrifice. You know what that means? If you look to Jesus, look at Jesus. Jesus Christ on the cross. He was stripped naked. At the trial, he was put to shame. What's happening on the cross? He's completely stripped of his status, of his sonship. This is the Son of God on the cross, completely stripped of everything, the center of all of his worth. In fact, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I'm exposed. I'm forsaken. 
The wrath of God at that moment is pouring down on me, and I have no cover. I have no place to hide. He's hanging on the cross, and his love put him there. And he did it for you, and he did it for me, you see. He's saying, I'm left for dead. There's no cover for me. I'm absorbing the full wrath of God. I've become this bloody mess. He's become the ultimate sacrifice, you see. Jesus Christ, sinless, became the ultimate sacrifice. Why? It's why he's the perfect sacrifice. He's the pleasing sacrifice. The guiltless died for the guilty. The sinless became the ultimate sacrifice. The shameless died for the shameful. The sinless died for the sinner. The perfectly acceptable became forsaken so that we who are unacceptable, we who was, we were not granted access, we were driven out, can now come in. Jesus Christ was stripped naked and was completely exposed on the cross, bearing the full wrath of God. Why? So that we could be covered by the grace of God. This is how you know you're in. Every time you look at the cross, you know you're in. You can be in. You know, I have to say this pastorally. This is how you also know that Jesus Christ understands all our sufferings. Jesus Christ understands all your suffering. Jesus Christ knows if you've ever felt exposed in your life, if you've ever felt insecure where you are, maybe because you just don't measure up to other people, maybe because uh, you are uh, just in guilt or in shame over something, Jesus Christ knows and he understands. He understands what it means to be exposed. He understands what it means to experience wrath. He understands what it means to be shamed. He understands what it means to be on trial, whether it's for things that you have done or for things you haven't done. Abel's sacrifice is greater than Cain's because Abel was commended. Abel was commended by faith. And because he was killed, he himself became a sacrifice. Abel trusted what he knew. He trusted what he heard. He walked in line with what he knew, what he heard. That's what he was commended for. He was accepted. He was endorsed. God saw his suffering. God saw who he is, who he's, how he's suffering. In his helplessness, this loser became the winner because the ultimate winner would become a loser for our sakes. You see that? And he was killed. How do you apply this? Last point. First, Abel was commended. This is what the ancients were commended for. So God commended Abel. By nature, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, Cain's never know where they stand. That's how you know you're a Cain. You never know where you stand. You never feel in. And so there's this restlessness that takes over. That's why you have to be perfect at your job. That's why you have to be the right one in your relationships. That's why you always have to be right. That's why uh, uh, we get jealous of other people. We're constantly comparing ourselves with other people. It's why we get angry at other people. It's why we're so murderous. Cain killed Abel in the book of Genesis. If you read, if you go back to the, the first book, that's what it says. Cain killed Abel, his brother, because of this. You know what it means to be a Cain? Cain's say, yes, I'm a sinner. I understand an offering is needed. But you see, I'm trying hard. I'm working. 
I'm making my sacrifices. I'm giving my offerings, don't you see? I want to change. And here's, how, here's what I'm doing to prove it. Why can't you accept me? And they get angry, you see. They're constantly trying to be the winner, you see. They're constantly working hard to be the acceptable one, you see. But that's why there's always doubt. That's why there's always restlessness. That's why there's always anxiety. You never know where you really stand, so you're constantly working, constantly trying, and it's making you angry. You know what it means to be an able? Abel's say, I'm helpless. I'm a sinner. There's nothing that I've done to get myself in. There's nothing that I can do on my own to get in. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I'm an able. But you see, I can't rely on my works because they're not good enough. No matter how hard I try, they're not good enough. But I can rely on the work of Jesus. It was perfect. I can't rely on my goodness. It's not good enough. But I can rely on the righteousness of Christ. The great hymn, I've hid myself. My life is hid with Christ on high. And so God accepts me not on the basis of my merit, but on the basis of the merit of Christ. Not on the basis of my righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ. Not on any works I can bring to the table, but the work of Christ, the perfect work. Not on my sacrifice, nor service, nor offering, but the perfect sacrifice, the perfect work, the perfect offering of Christ. I'm not relying on any sacrifice I can make, but Jesus himself, the true and ultimate winner, the true and ultimate winner who became a loser for me, who sacrificed all for me, and the Spirit applies that truth by faith in my life. The blood of Jesus Christ covers over me. There's your cover. Every time you look at the cross, there's your cover. Every time you see the blood of Jesus spilled, there's your cover. There's your validation. There is the endorsement that you need. That's the endorsement we've been working for all our lives. The Spirit of God applies that. Faith that relies on the perfect, ultimate sacrifice of Christ. That's the faith that God commends. Cain's, they make sacrifices, lots of sacrifices. Cain's make lots of offerings. Cain's rely on their works. They're actually very good at what they do a lot of times, or they're very angry because they're not good enough. They don't feel they're good enough. But that's why worship for Cain's are oftentimes so mechanical. And there's no joy. You never see any joy. But you know you're an able because ables always do what they do out of their response to God the response to the love of God, to what Jesus has done for them. That's why any offering, any sacrifice is always done with gratitude. It's always done with joy, and that's why it always lasts, and that's why it doesn't, there's change in your life, and the change lasts, you see. There's repentance, and there's faith, and there's resource, and there's renewal, and there's a love for Jesus Christ, a growing love for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Those of us who are growing up in the church, Has your love for Christ deepened since your time entering into this church? Some of you have been a part of Metro for since its inception. Some of you recently you've joined us. But since you've entered in, has your love for Jesus deepened? Has your love for Christ's church deepened? Because that's really going to tell you, it's, it's a good litmus test, that question. Is your worship mechanical? Is it a joyless worship? Is it work? Are you just making an offering, a lifeless offering? 
Or is your offering done out of gratitude and there's renewal in your life and it's working as a cycle in your life. You're brought down in sin and then lifted up by God's spirit because of the grace of God that's been applied to you. Do you see that? That's the way the change is. There's greater joy. It begins with greater joy and greater gratitude. That's what it means to be commended, to live out of being commended. Abel was commended. The second part we see is Abel was killed. Abel was killed. What that means is if you're an Abel, you're going to get killed. You're going to get attacked. You're going to be destroyed. It's natural for Cain's to dislike Abel's. It's just natural. Cain's always view Abel's as fake, as, hey, they're just, they're just acting good. They're no different. We don't, we're not any different. But he's just putting up a greater act. They're only looking at external comparisons. And so they, they say, you know, I don't really get it. We're both working hard. We're both being good. Why does he get in? And so as a result, Cain's tend to alienate themselves from Abel's. They're jealous of Abel's. They're angry at Abel's. But Abel's, they don't necessarily move away from Cain's. Abel's know there isn't anything that separates the two of us. Abel's know that. It's only by grace alone are we saved. And because Abel's know that they've been saved by grace, they know that anybody can be saved by grace. And so Abel's tend not to alienate themselves from Cain's. When Cain's are confronted by their sin, by real sin in their lives, they say, well, look at you. Look at your sin. Here are your sins. And they tend to have a list. Abel's don't make lists. You know why? Because they know. Abel's know that they're sinners. And Abel can admit real sin when they're confronted with real sin because they know they're losers. They know they've lost. They know that they're broken. And so Abel's are seeking repentance. Abel's are seeking forgiveness, even if it hurts them. And they still look to Jesus Christ who covers over their sins, you see. And because of this, real Abel's never move away from Cain's. In fact, if anything, Abel's understand. A true Abel will understand a Cain. Cain's, they're always comparing. Abel's don't compare. Abel's don't need to compare. You know why? Abel's don't need to compare because, you see, Cain's, they're constantly protecting their self-esteem. They're constantly protecting their dignity. But Abel's, they're not standing on their own self-esteem. They're not standing on their own dignity. They don't have to be right all the time. That makes Abel's very, very winsome. On one hand, they're going to get killed. But on the other hand, it makes them winsome. Cain's will fight, they will argue, they will beat up, they will kill. Abel's, they're more poised. They may assert things, but they're not going to bank on their own righteousness. And so they're not going to beat other people up. Cain's are always going to beat other people up. Cain's, fighting is a part of the Cain's life, you see, because they're constantly working to do what? to justify themselves, prove themselves. They're trying, to make, they're trying to become the perfect offering. Abel's, they already have a perfect offering in Jesus Christ. They're looking to him. Abel's can say, my life is hid with Christ on high. Their confidence stands on the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. Cain's tend to hide. Cain's tend to lurk. Cain's tend to judge. Cain's tend to pounce. Abel's are freer. They're more winsome. They're more broken they're humbler. A broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. Plunge yourself. Today, will you plunge yourself in the grace of God in Christ? Will you hide yourself 
in the perfect blood of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're going to come to the table soon. And as we come to the table, can you come and by faith, can you come and say, you know, I don't, I don't deserve this. I'm a sinner. I'm a loser. I'm broken. I'm helpless. But you see, that's who Jesus calls to come. And by faith, the Spirit calls you, beckons you to come. And that's why the meal, it's, it's said in the context of a meal, we are a fellowship of people who've come by faith, by grace alone in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Will you plunge yourself in the grace of God in Christ? The ultimate sacrifice. And lay down all the different ways we've been trying to offer sacrifices this week to come before God clean. Only Jesus can clean. Only Jesus can justify Will we come to the table, prepare our hearts to come to the table to receive that? Let's pray.